Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Thinking of starting a podcast? We'll try Anchor. It's free, easy to use, and its creation tools allow you to record and edit directly from your phone or computer. It'll even take care of distribution for you with a single tap so you can be heard on platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Also, Anchor is the only place you can publish video podcasts directly to Spotify. Man, you can even make money using Anchor in a couple of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. It's truly everything you need in one place to make a podcast. So make sure to go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Welcome to another edition of the It's Cavalier podcast. As always, it's your boy Mac. Joining me today, my friend, my co-host, Corey Walsh of Fear the Sword, as well as director of scouting of NBA Big Board and creator and founder of NBA Draft Junkies, Raphael Barlow. How you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me on. I love talking basketball, so I appreciate the invite. And oh yeah, we love talking basketball probably just as much as you, but we're not as credentialed. <laughs> it, it can come. It can happen. If it can happen for me, it can happen for anybody. <laughs> oh man, with that being said, we'll jump right into it. So I did have a question for you just based upon, you know, I know you were at the, the recent NBA Combine and whatnot. Yep. And just based upon what you have seen to this point, I just want to know who are the top five players on your personal big board at this time? All right, I would go with Paolo Bancaro, number one, Jabari Smith, two, Jaden Ivey, three, Chet Holmgren, four, five, I'm going to go with Keegan Murray. Hmm. That's a pretty solid list right there. And do you think that there is... consistent with the consensus for the most part, nothing too crazy. As far as like, maybe the order may be a little bit different, but as far as like the five, at least four out of the five, I'm sure are consistent with 90% of the people. Gotcha. Do you think there is any way that a guy like Chet Holmgren could fall out of the top three? No, I don't think so. Even if like, you know, the front office decides like he's we like somebody, we like three guys over them. I think ownership would overrule them because I think Chet is someone that he's kind of polarizing in a sense. You know, I think he'll sell tickets. I think that there was going to be a buzz around him. And I think the very minimum. I mean, I'm not saying like talent wise, he doesn't belong up there, but I just think at the very, very minimum, ownership is going to really fall in love with what Chick could possibly do for their franchise on top of, you know, um, what he can do on the court. That's fair. I mean, Corey knows I have my reservations in regards to him, just purely based upon the weight. And I get it. You know, we've seen guys of uh, similar stature, even our own Evan Mobley, you know, had some questions in regards to his weight and whatnot. And he was able to add on and be a very impactful player, especially on the defensive end. I guess for me, I just it's his frame, man. Like we talk about how unique he is. 
the skill set he has at his size, I just the hangups for me are purely based upon the weight. So I'm hoping the guy can put on a little bit between years uh, one to two. We'll have to see what happens. Yeah, I mean, I was doing some research, and even like I think he was like 195. That's what Gonzaga had him listed at. Yeah, I think Durant was like 215 going into the draft. I think Kevin Garnett was like 220. I even looked up, and I don't know how accurate it is, but I even saw Victor Wimbenyama is 229. Oh, like, wow. That was kind of shocking to me. Uh, <laughs> but uh, for Chet to be 195, it there are some legitimate concerns, but I don't have any concerns about his toughness and his willingness to compete and, and throw his body around. That's not a concern. It's just hard to make any comparison because even the guys we've seen with Slim frames were still 10 to 15 pounds heavier than him. Yeah, and that's that's the thing with me. It's just like I don't know. Like his skill set, obviously, he can space the floor. Uh, we've seen that, and he is an interior presence in regards to defense. It's just for me, I don't know. Like if that's that type of frame is going to hold up against NBA caliber bigs, NBA level bigs. So um, I, I think the potential is definitely there. I'm just questioning whether or not he'll be able to add that weight on. Yeah, and you have to figure, like, Mobley's situation was good for him because he didn't have to come in and play center. And depending on where Chet goes, he may not have that luxury. Or they may, you know, play somebody at center, and it may not be the best fit, like, you know, for for the team. I think with with Mobley, I think – just think he was in a good situation playing next to Jared Allen. But then again, you can disagree with me and say that you think Chet is a better shooter than Mobley, so it could be a, a better fit also. Um, because they say You could say that Chet's situation may be even just as good because he provides more outside shooting. So it's going to be interesting, man. It's, it's going to be really interesting how it all plays out. Uh, so, wait, when you think of Chet, do you think his best fit out of those lottery teams is more like um, would you you're thinking like the Houston Rockets so he could play off of Christian Wood or do you think because I, I think I see a lot of people think he'd be the best fit for OKC just because of the way that they've been planning out their draft prospects over the past few seasons and would allow him to kind of step in and grow in his own time. Yeah, I think so. I mean, even though Houston kind of has a they have a long rebuilding process ahead of them or at least their front office has been given time to to build slowly but i just think oklahoma city would probably be the best fit i mean if you look at their their recent draft history they drafted guys that are pretty good passers guys that are ball movers and i think chet's most underrated skill set is his passing so you figure with giddy Pokashevsky the year before with Chet, you've added length. And uh, I mean, it's just another guy that's long, that's that can uh, move the ball and that's skilled. So I just can't see him going past OKC. Not to make this turn into an OKC podcast, but I was also <laughs> thinking like, yeah, when, look to make sure I was on the right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's OKC <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thunder up. Uh, the, um, I always like when I see the mocks and I see that everyone thinks that they want uh, Chet, but then I also see them getting highly linked to Dang as well. And I th- feel like the two of them are kind of like the same philosophy when you draft them. Like you kind of want to give them time on their own. And I don't see a world in which they would draft both of them 
So do you think that if they draft Chet, like it pretty much takes them out of the projects type of prospects from that point onward? Or do you think because they just have so many darts to throw at the board, they're just going to keep taking these big swings with every pick in this draft? Yeah, I think they're just going to always swing for the fences. Because even with the rumors that they like Jaden Ivey, they already have a ton of guards there. And I spoke with a, a an agent, and he was talking about his client going to the Thunder. And he said it's, it's risky because on one hand, you could have your guy play well there one year. And then the next year, he could be totally out the rotation because they're not even going to consider fit. They're just going to be looking for the best player available, which, you know, on, on one hand, you can say a lot of teams do that. But you look at like Teo Maladon, he was good his first year. Then the second year, he's in the G League. They drafted Trey Mann. And so the agent was saying that with the Thunder, they're just going to swing for the fences. They're collecting assets and they're just going to basically allow whoever to compete. And whoever is on top when the dust settles is who's going to be on top. So he said it's just kind of risky because there's a lot of redundancy, at least with their guards. And if they add if they add Chet, then there's going to be redundancy at that four spot in a sense because you got Pokashevsky, you got Chet, and I think at you know at twelve if they keep the pick, they're going to go if it's Jang, if it's Jeremy Sohan, whoever it is, they're going to go for the best player and just let it sort itself out. When you look at draft boards every year, I always find that people automatically kind of look at one class try to compare it to another just so the general public can gain like an understanding of where this draft class stands and when this draft was first kind of coming out everyone's like all right so it's the top three and then it's everyone else and you're not like there's a wide gap but now of course as like the the draft season progresses people's opinions shift because they watch more film of other players outside of the top three and now everyone's flirting with the idea of risers of this draft class so when you Look at this draft class of 2022. What draft class do you feel like this most resembles to you in recent memory in terms of talent from the top to the bottom? That's a good question. I think this draft class is so different because if you look at the preseason mocks, they look totally, totally different than what we have right now. So you can say guys like, I mean, Chet and Paolo up there. I think Jabari was maybe... Top 10 pick almost, but now he could go number one. Davey was there. But after that, from Keegan Murray to Johnny Davis, Malachi Branham, none of those guys were on there. You looked at, you can look at like Peyton Watson, Caleb Houston, Yannick Sosa, um, Jaden Hardy, Patrick Baldwin Jr. All of those guys were projected to be lottery coming into the season. So, I think this draft is probably just as unpredictable as 2020, maybe. Because remember in the 2020 draft, people said, oh, it's a weak draft. And I think people thought it was weak because, one, I think it was such a long draft process. The draft wasn't until like November, if I remember. Right. Mm-hmm. So you had time to just overanalyze it. But the top players, like Anthony Edwards went to Georgia. He wasn't at a major school where he was on TV. LaMelo was was uh, in Australia. Then um, uh, Wiseman only played a few games. So people thought that was a weak, a weak draft, which uh, it ended up proving, you know, I mean, I think you have at least for sure two franchise guys in, in Melo and, and Anthony Edwards. And not every draft has 
that type of talent at the top. So I'd say it's comparable to 2020 as far as talent to where I don't think there's a huge gap between 15 through like 35. So that's the only one I can think of. Yeah, I feel like when people referred to that draft class outside of the top three of Wiseman, Ball, and Edwards, everyone was like, well, you're going to get good role players from this draft class regardless. Like, It's not like it's just off completely off a cliff. It's just in a different category. And I feel like a lot of people are saying with these lottery picks after like the top five, it's like, well, you can't really go wrong with who you're picking with because everyone has like the opportunity to at least be a solid contributor. You don't feel like you're just going blind into the prospects from that point onward. When you look at the uh, draft class, though, who really has been like the biggest? Who do you feel like is going to be like the biggest surprise? Like who's going to be like the Josh Primo of this draft? Um, the Josh Primo of this draft. Josh literally came out of nowhere, right? I don't <laughs> even think that he was mocked as. I know he wasn't mocked as a lottery pick. I mean, I think the highest I was seeing him was in the 20s or whatever. Then San Antonio takes him, I think, number 12. So if I had to guess somebody that is outside of the lottery that could jump into the lottery, and then I guess if you figure with Primo, he was so young, and somebody gambled on him uh, being a lottery pick, or the Spurs gambled on him being a lottery pick the next year, I'd say maybe Jang, even though he's kind of projected in that range. But if he goes seven or eight, that wouldn't really shock me too much. And the reason I say that is because, and I had mentioned it on on a few podcasts, I was kind of high on him before the season, then down on him once the season started, which, you know, he was averaging like four points per game, shooting like 20% from the floor, and 18% from three. But what I didn't do was take it into context that it's an 18-year-old kid from France not only was he going to another country, another continent, and with the super tight COVID restrictions there, he was there by himself. So think about your 18-year-old self or 18-year-olds that you know who struggle going to college in a, a state, the next state over, <laughs> and they struggle with the adjustment. And we're talking about the one that's 18 that was really struggling with, I mean, the language barrier is, is different, even though I mean, he knew English and I had spoke with him before, but it's, it's still... A, a big difference at 18. So I think that played a major, major role in his struggles. And then if you look at what he did in the second half of the year, I think that's more, um, I think that's more accurate to who he is as a player. So I think a team can just say, Hey, I like what we saw second half of the year. 610 can handle the ball, can potentially score on three levels and defend multiple positions. We're going to take him in the top six or seven. Yeah, I feel like when I even think when LaMelo was getting drafted, his shooting percentages weren't great. But yeah, people were pointing out what you said, like you just have to keep in mind who these young kids are playing against, like young adult, like they're playing against fully grown adults who are playing for their livelihood. Pretty much. It's like what you have to also understand with G League players when you don't think their stats are that eye popping. And you're like, well, you have to also account for they're playing against guys who are trying to put food on the table and try to get NBA roster spots. It's still pro basketball to a degree. Yeah. And the NBL is a good league. What's crazy, sorry to cut you off, is that you have guys that were on the G League Ignite and they've put up better stats than their college peers and they're not getting the same attention. Like if you look at Michael Foster's stats, they're on par with any guy that plays his same position. And I think it's kind of crazy that he's not getting the same 
love as like, you know, Dyson Daniels is now the darling from the Ignite team. And then you look at Jaden Hardy, who led the team in scoring, and he's not getting the same love. So it's so you think weird. If they how, played for like a big, like a, a national school, like a huge school, big program. They'd be getting a lot more love than they are now. On one hand, yeah. But on the other hand, Dyson Daniels now, like he is a media darling. For example, I had went to his, I was at his pro day, and I think I just posted a video of him shooting, and. I remember at one point within that same day, it was at like 38,000 views on, on Twitter. <laughs> and people are absolutely in love with, with, with Dyson Daniels. And he was like the fourth leading scorer on the team, while Hardy was the guy that people loved at the beginning of the year. So on one hand, you can say that, well, if Michael Foster went to Kansas and he averaged 14 and 9, he'd probably be you know, a lock in the go- to go in the first round. But then on the other hand, you can say that um, when Jalen Green went high, Kaminga went high, and Dyson Daniels is going to go high. So you're going to have three probably top lottery picks in in two years. So can you really say the lack of exposure is is hurting guys? It's um, it's very interesting how it it plays out because, like I said, on one hand, I think if Michael Foster played in college – his name would be a little bit, uh, have a little bit more buzz to it. But then again, like I said, Dyson Daniels didn't. His name is buzzing. Speaking of buzz, who do you feel like is kind of like getting some false buzz right now? Like when, who do you think is going to be the surprise fall, like a Tyrese Halliburton type from years past where we kind of project him into certain slots because we read so many mock drafts that we think (laughs) we understand how it's going to go. And then we're all just a step back when they fall outside the top 10. Honestly, I mean, this is probably the safest answer I can give. I think this draft is going to be so unpredictable because after, really, it starts at five. So you look at five, if A.J. Griffin goes five, you know, I don't think anybody would be too surprised. But then you look and see, like, ESPN hasn't mocked at 11. So I think anywhere between five through 12 can be totally interchangeable. Uh, There are a few names that were... I just talked to an agent before I got on the um, the, the, the the podcast, and he was tell- we were talking about the green room list, and he said, "Man, there's going to be two guys that I think are going to be in the green room a long time." <laughs> and we didn't go into like who it was, um, but yeah, I just think this draft is going to be unpredictable. Somebody's going to fall, and there's going to be some surprise pick. I, I can't really say if there's any names that I said, okay, this guy's going to fall. Like I saw some rumblings that Tari Eason was going to fall. And I don't know if you guys saw that. And somebody posted that his, because of the his workout interview, his interviews or this, this yeah. and that. And then he got invited to the green room. So, <laughs> you know, um, and I think, well, teams invite, you know, there's a list and teams have a role of to invite to the green room. So collectively teams thought he was a green room guy, but, you know, it, it still only takes one team to choose you. That is true. Yeah. And I think, you know, just kind of looping back here on the Cavs, you know, this is going to be such an unpredictable draft, as you suggested. Uh, so we never truly know who's going to fall outside the top 10. But of those guys who are currently being mocked there, do you think just in reference to the Cavaliers, is there anybody worth trading into the top 10 for for them? Or you think they should stay put at 14? It depends. If there's somebody they really, really like, then then yeah. But I, I think that you can find 
somebody that can come in and contribute right away. Like I like I like Jalen Williams from Santa Clara. Love that he guy. could be available. <laughs> he gives them size, another playmaker, can shoot at good measurables. Seven so, foot two wingspan, right? Yeah, 39 inch vert. And the thing I really, really liked about him was he actually went to the combine and played. Like 40 out of my top 60 players that I had ranked did not participate at the combine. Damn. And I remember having this discussion with with some of the scouts there. They were clearly frustrated and they're just like, who's advising some of these guys? Like 40 guys aren't going to get drafted in the first round. So why do you think not, that is? Uh, I mean, the agents just have so much power and it's a cat and mouse game between the agents and the front offices and the agent can say, hey, you have 30 games to evaluate my guy. You know, so <laughs> there, there you go. Trust, trust what you already know. Um, and then um, I just think part of the recruiting pitch, maybe, and I, I could be totally wrong, but part of the recruiting pitch is, nah, man, come with us, man. You're a first rounder. I like your game. Yada, yada, yada. You'll be selected in the first round. And then it's like, you don't need to go to the combine. I told you, you're a first rounder. You're going to go in the first <laughs> round. So I've had multiple agents. Like, I haven't, I think there's maybe one agent that told me that he doesn't think his guy hasn't told me that yeah my guy has a first round guarantee most agents are saying that their guy has a first round guarantee i, I mean a lot of guys are, that i talk to are actually my friends as opposed mm-hmm. to just thinking i'm a media guy and wanting <laughs> me to put it out there uh, which i am kind of starting <laughs> to get some of that now but uh but yeah i mean there was like so many guys that chose not to participate in in the combine and Jalen williams who i think was secure as the top 35 top 40 pick he chose to go to the combine not only did he play but he played both days some guys had a good game and they shut it down after after one game he played both days it was like 12 of 16 from the floor he measured well so he really helped himself from that aspect to where not only did he compete but he played well and i think it pushed him into i mean i think it played a role in him getting a green room invite which means he could end up being a lottery pick yeah certainly Oh, sorry. No, you go back. I was going to say, like, because, you know, like, Jalen Williams is one of those darlings that just comes onto the scene towards the latter half of draft season that we thought was going to end up in the late first round. I remember I saw Mox earlier in the year where he was going to, like, Golden State at, like, 28 or something. And now I feel like everyone's, like, towards, like, the end of draft season, everyone picks their favorite project player where they're like, oh, well, if this guy does X, Y, and Z, then they'll become, like, the next Giannis-type player where you built him from scratch kind of who really stands out to you as your favorite project type player not in the sense that he has to be like Giannis or anything but who do you feel like has like a really high ceiling but it could easily just have as low of a floor at the same time there's two guys I would say Ryan Rollins from Toledo and uh I feel like I was on the 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 Ryan Rollins train early <laughs> I went and watched him play in October it was a preseason game and Immediately, I thought like this guy's NBA. I even did a podcast. I can't. I think maybe like October twenty six or something like that. I did an entire podcast saying that I think he is the next player from the MAC that is going to be NBA draft pick. And slowly, slowly, <laughs> he's starting to get that buzz. Did well, combine. And I think I was the first person that had him mocked as a first round pick. I don't know. If I was just getting ready to ask that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if he goes first round or not, but I had him mocked as a first round pick since since maybe March. I see him as 
a a guy that's going to be able to score on three levels. He's still young. He finished his sophomore season. He's still only 19. So there are guys that are older than him or just a few months younger than him that are in their, you know, just finished their first year. I think Ty Ty Washington is even older than him. And Ryan has done two years. So I I think that he was – he's a guy because a lot of people aren't familiar with with him. He didn't have, like, the big TV games or anything like that. So I think that he could – be someone that really outplays his draft position. And then I really like Darion Sebron from NC State. And uh, I just had him on my podcast. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm from Nebraska, so born and raised. And um, so I'm quite naturally, I, I, I root for the, the Cornhuskers. And he had this game, I want to say in like November, where he had 39 points and 19 rebounds. And I remember looking at the box score like, dang, they got Shaq or something on their team? <laughs> Go to watch the film, and he's like six seven, a buck eighty. He had nineteen rebounds. So then I start watching his film. I'm like, he's playing point guard, and he's just a relentless, relentless attacker at the rim. Like eighty percent of his shots, not not baskets, shots, were at the rim. And I just kind of, I'm intrigued with with what he could do with a creative coach that knows how to take advantage of his skill sets. I mean, he's lightning quick. And he's a guy that just kind of turns rebounds into personal fast breaks, similar to Giannis. I mean, but much smaller. He, he's not getting to the rim in two dribbles <laughs> like Giannis <laughs> does. <laughs> I mean, I've seen that dude grab a rebound. It's like two, two he's and a half there. dribbles. Yeah. And he's already at the rim. You can't but blink. Is, yeah, you can't. You can't blink. Sebron is a guy that he rebounds in traffic, and he's so fast that you know if it's a long rebound, he's taking it to the rim, turning it to a personal fast break. And then he can play point. He averaged three assists a game. So I would really like to see a creative coach kind of let him play point. And I think he'd do real good with NBA spacing. The jump shot is a little bit concerning, but the form isn't broken. So he's like this guy that like visually, he's visually pleasing. And I, I enjoy his style. And I'm, I'm hoping that, again, he goes to the right system. That's fair. Yeah, those, those guys definitely fit that mold and staying kind of in the same line of thought here. Now we've heard on Cleveland's end that they have been really, really intrigued with Arizona guard, Dalen Terry. Uh, Can you just tell me about your personal opinion of him and whether or not 14 would be too high for him? Cause I'm of the mindset right now that I love the guy. I love what he could bring to the table, but 14 just seems really high. Yeah, I think it's high, but you know, it's funny and it's uh, and this is just honest to God truth. So I was at his pro day, right? And you know, like for me going to the combine, it was my first combine. So there's still like this kid like aspect <laughs> in me that's like I'm here and I'm and I'm watching guys. And then I started to like see like, all right, what front office is really paying attention to to who? You know, there's some guys they did their pro day, and maybe the team felt like they're not he's not in our range. So maybe, you know, their guys were texting or talking. But one one of the things I have in my notes, and it's the honest guy truth was when Terry was doing his pro day, I felt like, all right, the Cavs are really, really interested in him because <laughs> their eyes were glued on him. But at the time, I was thinking like, okay, they must be looking at him for 39, right? Now you're starting to see, you know, rumblings that he's going to be a front pick, which is uh, which kind of makes it so if they really want him that bad, they're going to either have to trade trade into the first round or maybe move up or select him, you know, at, what are they, at 15? 
14. 14, which puts him in a lottery pick, which would give Arizona two guys in the lottery. So I think 14 is a little high. But like I said, I, I do think that there is serious interest there. Yeah, I think like to me, it's like a big swing, you know, swing for the fences type of pick. And I, I guess I wouldn't mind that necessarily. I do like what he could bring to the table from not only a playmaking standpoint, but from a defensive standpoint. There's a lot of versatility there for him. And I think the jumper is there. Um, it's some latent potential with that. But for him, uh, I just feel like there are other guys there that could be an immediate plug and play. Uh, but I guess I wouldn't be upset if they take if they uh, were to take him at 14. Yeah, Cleveland, I feel like, is in an interesting situation. They're like a playoff team in the lottery, you know, similar to, mm, yeah. to the Pelicans. And if, I mean, even though they didn't make the playoffs, I feel like they were a it's playoff team. It's not a bad spot. Yeah, the mm-hmm. majority of the season. So I wonder with Cleveland, even though it's a young team, do you go with upside five years down the line or do you go with somebody that you feel like could come in and help us right away? So I've seen rumors of Ochak Baji to, to yeah. Cleveland. I think he's someone that could come in and help right away. You know, give you outside shooting and athleticism. But then, if you look at someone like Terry, he may not be able to come in right away. He could be a two to three year project. So it's it's really interesting to see what direction they take because, like I said, they're like a playoff team in the lottery. When you look at the Cavs roster, what direction would you? take the team with their pick would you go big swing or would you just go for insert nba ready level player and just roll with it uh i think i would go with someone that's ready to contribute right away and like i said they're a playoff team you already have like your cornerstones i'm looking for a a complimentary piece that you know, you don't really have too many overlapping skill sets. And I think they're in a very good situation because, you know, like all right, we got Mobley, we got Garland, we got our center. Now we just got to find the best pieces around them. And when you already have two all-stars, it makes your job a whole lot easier. So I'd be looking for outside shooting or just someone that I know can come in and, and just complement my, my cornerstones. What do you think about Malachi Branham? If he were to fall too, because we've seen him get a lot of buzz, maybe going in the top 12. You know, he's uh, not too far from home. You know, I've heard like mixed reviews about him. I was actually at his pro day and I wouldn't say he shot the ball lights out. I've I've definitely heard a lot of people say they like his upside and potential. But one of the big concerns is he was a reluctant shooter from three and in college only took about two threes per game. And then I've heard that he's kind of struggled a little bit with his shooting at the in the workout. Again, this is not like firsthand knowledge. It's just kind of what I've heard. But he's young, and I, I believe that he will be able to develop into a really good shooter. My comparison for him is Chris Middleton. And I see like this young kid with this old school, very efficient game. He's not drilling a ball a bunch of times. He's like that dude at the wreck that just has his sweatpants on. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he's getting to his spots with one or two dribbles. Everything is looking just really smooth and effortless. And that's how Brandon plays to me. Like, no wasted dribbles, not a bunch of shake and bake, herky-jerky. It's just I'm, I know how to get to my spots. I'm going to get to the middle of the floor. I'm going to pull up, 
So I, I like him a lot, but I, I think the biggest swing skill for him is developing into a or becoming more confident in shooting threes because he shot well. He yeah. Shot over forty percent. It's just he seemed a little Not a lot of volume to take. Yeah. Um, and so in, keeping in that same line of thought of these NBA ready guys, who would you say would be the most NBA ready prospect of this year's draft? I go with Ben Carroll. I'm I'm big Ben Carroll guy. Six ten, two fifty. He's inside, he can create his own shot. Um, there were some concerns about his three point shooting. If I'm not mistaken, he shot the same percentage from three as Jason Tatum when, when Tatum was at Duke. And one of the concerns people said about Tatum was the outside shooting kind of settles for mid-range shots, shoots tough contested shots, not a good defender. And all that, you can say about, Damn. Yeah, <laughs> all that you can say about Van Carroll. So I think that not only is his body ready to contribute, but I think he thrive in the NBA because there's more spacing. And I think NBA teams will probably give him more opportunity to play with the ball in his hands, which he didn't really get a chance at Duke. He didn't really get a lot of opportunities to be a playmaker. And then I'll probably say Jaden Ive just because I think he's really going to look good with NBA spacing. You know, at Purdue, he was getting to the rack with a lane that was congested with two traditional bigs. You give him some spacing with that speed, shooters around him, he's going to be tough to stop. <laughs> when you look at the top three of Bencaro, Jabari, and Chet, who, where do you feel like, not even necessarily in the top three, where do you feel like is their most ideal fit realistically? Like not saying that Bencaro's best fit is to be like on the Lakers or something. <laughs> uh, I like Bencaro in Houston. I like him in Houston a lot. Uh, Jaden Ivey, he's tough for me because I think his best fit would be somewhere where he can play the point. And if you look at the teams in the lottery, there's not really a guaranteed spot for him to like be the point guard. You look at Orlando has too many. You got Jalen Suggs, you got Markel Fultz, you got Cole Anthony. Uh, Oklahoma City has Giddy and Gilgis Alexander as ball handlers. Houston has Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr. That could be if if they're not all in on Kevin Porter Jr. You guys are you know it's a Cleveland Cavaliers yeah. podcast. <laughs> so you guys know how to go to deep there. You look at Sacramento; they have De'Aaron Fox. So uh, Detroit has Kate Cunningham. Indiana, Indiana could be a really good fit because they have Halliburton and Halliburton and um, and Ivy could play off each other. But then, what's the difference between Ivy and Halliburton than Halliburton and Fox? <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. that that could be kind of similar. Then you look at New Orleans. I don't think he falls that far. They have CJ. He's going to be their point guard. So I don't know if there's really a clear opportunity. Maybe the Knicks that will just allow him to come in and be their point guard. But yeah, I can't find like a perfect ideal fit for him. Yeah. I feel like it's really tough for Jay and Ivy. I feel like he is like such an explosive guard. And like you said, everyone is in the, like pretty much like the guard, the league is so point guard heavy now. Like it's so deep of a league. It's unfortunate for any rookie that's coming in to try to step into his way and make his name in the league. But I feel like if Sacramento ends up taking that like big swing approach and takes Jay and Ivy, I'm just going to be really, I think Kings fans are going to just burn the building <laughs> down because they just gave up Halliburton to essentially draft another guard. Yeah. Cause it'll be the fourth in five years. 
Jeez Louise. Now, you know, another guy here who there's a lot of question marks regarding where he's going to end up is Shaden Sharp. Give me your honest opinion on that guy. Oh, man. That's that's the toughest. <laughs> that's the toughest <laughs> one because – and I've had people in his camp – or not necessarily his camp, but people connected to him send me DMs talking about I've been kind of negative. And I wasn't being negative. I just mentioned that there were a couple scouts that said they wouldn't take him in the top ten. And there were some scouts that said that he's the biggest risk and either somebody's going to get burned and lose their job or someone's going to look great. And there are some people that are just like, I don't know if I'm going to take take that risk. I do feel like social media is higher on him than NBA teams. But when I say that, no NBA team has questioned his talent or or his, his skills. It's just the common theme is we have a small sample size and we only have seen him in like the AU where it's free flowing and it's open and you know, where your athleticism can really stand out, but we don't know how he plays in structure. And the only way you're going to find out is if you draft him. And even one scout said that he thinks that he'll look good in summer league because summer league is free flowing, but it's like, once you put in a, a, a system how does he play like as a complimentary guy and so on? So I think there's a lot of concerns, questions, but it only takes one team to like him. And I think that it's going to be a team where the front office has some job security, you know? So, and I had mentioned it before. I actually had this conversation with someone earlier today and his, his comment was, you know, this draft, you're going to see some swings, but it's going to be by front offices where they have, job security and no matter how much you say oh you gotta do the best thing for the team if you're on like think about it think about your job if you have one year left on your contract you're gonna want to take the guy probably that you feel like <laughs> he's gonna get me that extension right away the safest as opposed pick, to yeah, yeah taking somebody who you know you, let's say you take a guy in the lottery and he's two years away from competing but you only have one year left on your deal. You may not even be around to see him develop. And so that was one of the things that he had mentioned for me to just really kind of pay attention to and see like the front offices like the Thunder or Houston or maybe even like San Antonio. They can take the biggest swings while others may not have the same luxury. Yeah, I never thought about front offices in the NBA like that. Because when you think about the NFL draft, it's like if a team drafts a rookie quarterback with their GM like that, that GM usually is tied to that quarterback for at least like the next three years and has that leeway. But if you like flop on a draft pick in the NBA, you don't really get like another year where they're like, yeah, go ahead, take another swing. (laughs) Cause see, cause that'd be like the equivalent of like when the Cardinals took Josh Rosen and then the next year they took Kyler Murray back to back. Like that's so unheard of. No one's like, you get less chances to hit in the NBA, man. You get less chances to hit. You do. But I think if you have like the right guy, for example, I use Cleveland. If they swung for the fences and missed, they have, you know, they were successful with, with Mobley and, and Garland, which Garland, you can say, was a swing for the fence. So mm-hmm. if they draft somebody at 14 and they totally miss, I don't think it's going to affect Kobe Altman's job because he, he did well the year before. And, and so um, that's the thing about the NBA in a sense. Like if you get that cornerstone guy, you can miss a few times. Like you think about – like Dallas, right? A lot of people complain about the Dallas Mavericks picks and, and how they haven't really drafted well since Dirk. But 
you knew with Dirk, you were going to get 50 wins mm-hmm. every year. So if you missed, you could just keep missing. And, and you knew like you had that franchise guy. Even San Antonio, you look at San Antonio. Now that Duncan is gone and they don't have, you know, the cornerstone, you can say that they've missed on some of their picks recently. And it hasn't really helped them get back to where they where they want to go is, is the playoffs. So, um, like I said, once you got that cornerstone guy, you get a little bit of luxury. But it, it's interesting how a general manager's contract situation can affect the draft. Yeah, totally. <clears throat> Yeah, when you um when you look at like the second round, do you ever do you feel like you're being really drawn to certain names that maybe aren't necessarily getting the buzz that you would expect? Yeah, there's actually a guy I like for Cleveland, Gabriel Prashid, six six, athletic, can shoot the cover off the ball. You know, the American audience isn't gonna be too familiar with him because he was playing in Italy, but I've had a chance to watch him play. In person, I went to Milan to watch him, and I think that he is going to be really good simply because he has a skill set that teams need. You know, you're always going to need outside shooting. The league is starved for wings that are athletic and that can shoot the ball, and he he fits the bill. So I think he could be a first-round talent that a team could get in the second round. Hmm. Of all the international prospects that you've scouted, who's been the biggest surprise to you? As far as their, what do you mean by biggest surprise? As far as uh, blowing you away talent-wise. Um, like we get a lot of hype anybody's. about uh, Nikola Jovic and what he's able to bring to the table. Yeah, I like him a lot. 6'10", 6'11"-ish, skilled, can handle the ball, can shoot a little bit if he gets hot, especially in the corners. Very skilled. You know, typical Serbian player. If you look at Serbian players, they're all very skilled. It's like no matter how tall you are, you're working on your ball handling, you're working on your passing, you're shooting. So I, I love their development, developmental process from from an early age. Um, my, my biggest concern with Jovic is fit, right? He, he needs the ball in his hands, even though he can't play off the ball, but he's best if he's used as, you know, a weapon, a guy that can make plays for others. My biggest concern is... And it's kind of similar to how I felt about Denny Abdia. I I still Mm -hmm. believe in Denny Abdia, right? Same here. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go. Yeah, it's like when he's at Washington, he just is kind of thrown into the corner, which I I get it. The first year um, he was on the floor with Westbrook and Bill. They get the opportunity to initiate the offense when you're playing with those guys. And then he got a little bit of an opportunity at the end of last season. So that's like my biggest fear. Like if, if Jovic goes to a team where they have a quite a few guys that are ball dominant and you just kind of throw him in the corner, you don't get the best of him. So he's someone that I think fit is going to be really, really important. Yeah. Then I get to answer your question. Ishmael Kamagate is is a guy that I'm pretty high on. <laughs> Had a chance to uh, watch him play live a couple times in Paris and um, did a sit-down interview with him. He's a late bloomer. And I have like this soft spot for for these late bloomers these guys that kind of came out of nowhere and they got there by hard work and and just kind of being behind the scenes and he was someone that just three years ago he was on the under 18 team and barely played and i had went to some of the tournament and when i spoke with him i was like man were you were you on that team and he said yeah i said i said honestly man i don't even remember you and he was like yeah i did i didn't get in (laughs) 
And I was like, but now look at you. You know, all these guys that, that were ranked higher than you, you're on your way to, to the NBA. And so I just love that at the very minimum, I think he's going to be this guy that plays with tremendous energy, protects the rim, runs the floor. I see a lot of Clint Capella in him. And if you look at Capella, Capella was a late first-round pick, spent the entire first year in the G League. Then I think Houston put him on their playoff roster. He got a few minutes as, as, a, as a rookie in the playoffs. And then the next year he was their starting center. And I, I think Kamagate could have a very, very similar path. How about uh, Khalifa Diop? I like him too. I like him. Uh, I didn't get a chance to watch him live. I spent this entire season in Europe. I didn't get a chance to uh, to go. Here's a funny thing. So uh, I'm a big geography here, right? I enjoy geography. <laughs> I'm that guy that thinks I know the world. And Khalifa was playing for Gran Canaria. And I know that's in the Spanish ACB. So I, I spent a month in Barcelona. And I'm like, I'm about to go to the Canary Islands. I did not know it's in Africa. Well, it's not in Africa, <laughs> but it is along the African coast. It is oh. so close to Africa, and people don't realize that. So he was a little, a little bit further than than I expected, and uh, I didn't get a chance to watch him when he when um when he played in Barcelona. But he's very intriguing. I think that he could also be one of these guys that outplays his draft position. He's projected as a second round pick now. He could possibly even go undrafted, but I think if he goes undrafted, it could be a good situation for him because then his agent can pick the best team where that gives him like a, a clear path to some playing time. So if he's someone that actually, if I'm his agent, I'm like, look, if I don't go in this range, then I don't want to be drafted. I want to go to Brooklyn. I want to go somewhere where they need some size or maybe even right. a, a Dallas. So, mm-hmm. um, but I, I like them a lot. I feel like when, after every postseason, we always take a step back and try to figure out where draft trends are heading based on what we just watched in that prior postseason. Based on what you're watching in this postseason, how do you feel like what we're watching in every, like, not even necessarily in the finals, but what we're seeing teams use in the postseason is kind of changing the way that draft trends are heading for this draft. That's a good question. And you know, it's, it's funny is depending on who you talk to, you can get two different answers. So on one hand, I've heard people say, well, you look at the wings, you know, teams are going to want wings that can handle the ball, which it's going to be tough to get what Boston has. I mean, there may be, 10 two-way wings in the NBA that can handle the ball, create their own shot, make plays for others, shoot and defend. Boston has two of them on their team. The Clippers have two. So there's not a lot. Most wings are going to be like 3 and D floor spacers that really don't offer much off the dribble or ball handling. So I think teams may try to duplicate that. But here's something that that I think is a trend that people aren't really talking about. And maybe in Cleveland, you guys have a better understanding of it. But I've heard some people say teams may start trying to play two bigs together. Tall ball. Let's go. (laughs) Cleveland did it. Uh, I've even heard some people say Boston has ran Horford and Robert Williams on the floor together, two traditional bigs. Golden State has had lineups where Looney and Draymond Green were on the floor together. So neither one really offers any floor spacing. And so you may see some teams try to add bigs with, with, you know, bigger lineups. And so Cleveland may have been like this, this trendsetter there. So um, 
so that could be a trend. But like I said, there's some people that think, oh, you can't play two bigs anymore. You need you need floor spacing. Everybody's going small. But I think it could be trending towards what Cleveland did. Yeah, that would be pretty awesome if that did start to happen. Uh, we'd see a domino effect occurring across the NBA. That would be dope. Yeah, especially a team that didn't make the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> is the one that is kind of changing how people are constructing their roster. Yeah, um, and just staying in the same line of thought of big men. Now, we know what Jared Allen and Evan Mobley brought to the table, and to a latter extent, Lowry Markkinen, because I feel like Lowry Markkinen was very key to what they were able to do in that uh, in that lineup because he did add the ability to space the floor. Uh, so we know that there is a clear need for a true backup center there. And so in looking in the second round, are there any prospects there around 39 where I think they have the 58th right now that you think would fit with Cleveland? Yeah, you can look at Jalen Williams from Arkansas, guy that takes a lot of charges. I think he led the nation in, in charges taken. He does have some some ball skills. I've seen him put the ball on the floor in space. And I think that he does have the potential to at least be a respectable shooter and, and space the floor a little bit. I think he could come in there. We talked about Khalifa, Khalifa Jop. Um, Kamagate, if he's available, I, I, I have him as a first rounder, but I, I don't know if everybody feels the same way. I think he could be an option there. Christian Coloco from Arizona, shot blocker, one of the best rim protectors in the draft. And uh, he surprised a lot of people with his outside shooting at the combine. Arizona may like a big prime winner in this draft. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. They could have you know maybe three guys in the first round. Uh, Coloco, let's see, Coloco. Uh, let's say those three would, would come in, and but I think if if I'm Cleveland, I feel like with the two bigs that I have, I could you know have a situation where there's not a minute in the game where I don't have Mobley or Allen on the floor, and I can easily slide Markin into. Two to four. So if I'm Cleveland, I think I'd probably look more so at at the wings. But then again, you can be thin if there's one injury there. So it, it does make sense to kind of kick yeah. the tires on another side. <laughs> we just saw that, man. We literally yeah. just saw that play out. So I'm just hoping they do something to address the position. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't I didn't think of it until midway through my sentence. Oh, yeah, we, we saw what happened. That's why they're <laughs> Oh man, that that will never get seems to heal huh <laughs> oh, it puts the Cavs in a very good spot though like i feel i think i just said this on the last few episodes too Corey. but you know every time that i i look at these mocks i feel a little bit better and better about where we are now because we obviously we probably not close to title contention yet and so if we can continue to add pieces to this core this very young core and we could be there we could expedite it in this 14th pick uh, maybe maybe hit on one in the second. This could really, really propel the Cavs to something great. Yeah, it's going to be a interesting offseason, you know, figuring out what happens with Sexton, um, the de- continued development of Okoro, and then adding some more depth. I mean, I think Rubio comes back. Is that is that what you guys are hearing? Rubio uh, we're back? hoping, but he may not even be ready to start the season. Like, we couldn't yeah. even see the guy possibly until maybe January if he is resigned. Yeah, but I've been seeing links like heavily to Rubio over the past week. Like that's really picked up a lot more traction than I was thinking it was going to at this point. But yeah. with the Cavs, you know they like to throw smoke screens out there. So <laughs> Yeah. Very and good. you have some options. Yeah. You can even still maybe find a taker for Kevin Love and, and get younger and uh <laughs> yeah. score spot with Corey. <laughs> well that are you you're a big Kevin Love guy? Uh yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, okay I, though. I, 
Yeah, man, I, I like I've always liked Love. I felt like he was underappreciated during the you know the LeBron era. Much and, like Bosch. Uh, yeah. Yeah. People forgot Love was a guy that was getting like 25 and 20 when, when when he was in Minnesota. And he just kind of has been forgotten. I think at one point you could say he was maybe not a Hall of Famer, but just on that borderline where he'd get a few votes. And now it just seems like the last few years have just kind of made people forget about it. even though he you know he had a good year this year but i think he still has some value does he have one year left on his contract is it yeah 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 one, one year, year. One, one huge year worth of salary but after that you know i could certainly see the Cavs making a case for signing him either at the not the vet minimum but something much lower yeah and that, that's interesting if he decides to stay for lower or if they decide to move him and try to get another piece because i think you, there's some value there's some team that's probably Feeling like okay, we're just one more player away that can contribute, and they may make Cleveland an offer. Yeah, now when you look at that love salary number compared to like what max deals look like now, you kind of think that thank God we signed him when we did. <laughs> if anything, because we could be paying him upwards of fifty million based on how you see some of Jeez. these contracts turning out. Yeah, look yeah. at James Harden's player option. That is look at Russell Westbrook's. Yeah, yeah. In the forty-seven upper forties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just looks weird, man. I remember. Being a kid, and you saw a guy sign like a seven-year, hundred million dollar deal, and you're just like, "Wow!" And, and now, <laughs> you can like a guy like Westbrook could sign a free one fifty, or you know, some crazy like that is really possible. Or Rudy Gobert signed for almost like a quarter of a billion dollars. <laughs> Offensive superstar Rudy Gobert. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> the last man Offensive standing. Eventually, hub. just wait, <laughs> just wait. Uh, that being said, as we always tell you guys, if you'd like to reach out to us, you can at it's Cavalier underscore pod on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and more. If you'd like to be added to the exclusive It's Cavalier Discord chat, you know what to do. Leave a rating, leave a review, send a screenshot to that uh, of that to it's cavalier53 at gmail.com, and we will send you an invite. Thanks for stopping by, man. It's pretty yeah, awesome anytime. to talk some, just, uh, some, uh, just some prospects. Know. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. You guys. You guys do your homework. I've got some podcasts where they are like, hey, we want you to talk about everything on the draft. So I, I enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you guys. Have a good night. <laughs>